we are hanging out in, in Genesis. Um, last Sunday, we were in Genesis 16, which is where Abram and Sarai, before they became Abraham and Sarah, uh, were getting impatient with God with the promise that he had made them. And so they decided that they would take Hagar, Sarai's servant, and they would build a family through Hagar. That was not God's plan, but they thought, let's help God out and let's make this happen a little bit quicker. And so they went and they did that. And, and through Hagar and Abraham, Ishmael was born. But eventually, I'm just going to catch you up where we're at today. Is that okay? Eventually, Sarah did get pregnant and she and Abraham had their son Isaac. And then when Isaac was a little bit older, there was the story. Do you remember the story where God tests Abraham and uh, Isaac gets taken up the mountain to to be sacrificed, his son, his only son, and he gets is going to be sacrificed, but God provides the sacrifice instead. Um, we haven't got time to jump into that today, but what an interesting story. Um, and then after that, uh, Isaac is married to Rebecca, um, and um, one of the kind of family links back from Abraham's family, Isaac's married to Rebecca. Uh, and then Rebecca and Isaac, they eventually have two sons, twins, boys, Esau, the oldest, and then Jacob, the youngest. Um, and then when they are born, Jacob ends up... Um, Kind of what well, Esau sells his birthright to Jacob as the eldest uh, for some for some food for some stew. And I don't know if you spotted this, but it's a little bit like the Genesis story being retold. You see the patterns that keep happening over and over, where where the firstborn son, that this this new Adam, if you like, gives up his birthright for what he thinks he needs in the moment, rather than what God is giving him for some food, for some fruit, for the stew in this story. And so we get a little bit of that going on. We're like, no. Um, and then, and then eventually Jacob ends up deceiving his father Isaac and taking his father's blessing that was meant for Esau because Rebecca, his mother, encouraged him to do so. And there's loads of other Genesis stuff going on there as well. But what's really interesting about that is you get this kind of replay of the Cain and Abel story, right? Where two brothers bring an offering to their father, to God, um, and, and one is accepted and one is not pleasing. And the offering of the one that doesn't please him says, I'm going to murder my brother. Do you see, you see the story being played out again? With every generation is just carrying on the, this decreation story, this fall away from God's good plan for human beings. And so anyway, Jacob, he gets told by his mother, oh, your brother's going to kill you. Get out of here. So Jacob runs off back to the land that his mother and father are from originally, their descendants of come from. And he stops off at a place called Bethel on, on route. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a bit. And then he gets back to the, fa uh, the land his fathers were from, and he gets back to his uncle's uh, family, Laban, his uncle Laban. And he finds uh, Rachel, Laban's daughter, and he thinks how beautiful she is, and he wants to marry her, and he makes this deal with Laban. I'll work for you for seven years for the marriage of, uh, of your daughter, Rachel. And so Laban says, yeah, great. So the seven years he works for them, and then they're about to get married, and I don't know how he managed to pull this off, right? I always wonder, like, how did this story actually happen? But they're about to get married, um, and Laban tricks Jacob, and instead of marrying Rachel, he slips Leah, the older sister, in there. And so Jacob wakes up in the morning, he's like, well, are you? you're not Rachel. Like, I don't know how much he had to drink, but seriously. Anyway, so he ends up married to, to 
to Leah, not Rachel. And he's like, what have you done? You've tricked me, Laban. And Laban says, well, finish the wedding week with Rachel, uh, sorry, with Leah, and then I'll give you Rachel as well, but you have to work for me for another seven years. So at the end of the wedding week to Leah, Rachel gets given to him as a wife, and then he stays and works another seven years for Rachel as well. Um, and man, what a tragic story that is, because Leah, she's just not loved like Rachel is. And she thinks that through having children, she's going to please Jacob and become uh, the, the one that he loves. But that doesn't happen. Uh, and she keeps having children, trying to please her husband. Um, and then Rachel can't have children. And Rachel says, oh, take my servant. And we're like, we've seen this before. Take my servant. Maybe I can build a family through her. And we get that building language that we talked about last week that links all the way back to the building of the Tower of Babel and the building of Cain City. And we're like, no, how is it still going wrong? How have you not learned from the previous generation? But somehow they haven't. Same could be said for today, right? But we, they, people just don't learn. They keep making the same mistakes. And it's just this tragic, tragic story. And you're like, these are the people of God. What's happening here? Eventually, God speaks to um, Jacob and says, get back to the land that I called you to go to, the land where I told you I would give you this land to your descendants. And so he starts heading back. And there's this whole thing where Laban chases after them because Rachel's stolen one of the household gods and all a bit of a messy situation there. Um, and then he starts being fearful. Oh, did you spot that Laban changed uh, Jacob's wages 10 times. If you're not sure what I'm on about, go and listen to last week's podcast. Uh, but yes, 10 has got this, this, this link to people um, decreating in the story. So anyway, there's something going on with that. Uh, and then Jacob's like, oh no, my brother Esau's got 400 men and is in front of me and he's going to kill me. What am I doing going back there? Starts sending loads of gifts his way to try and please him. But Esau rocks up and it's like, oh brother, I've missed you. And they kind of make up and everything's good. And then Esau heads back, says, I'm going to go on ahead of you. Or Jacob sends him on ahead. Jacob's like, I'm going to get to you in a bit. Starts sending off his stuff towards that part. And on the route back, Jacob's daughter, Dinah, gets raped by a guy called Shechem. And then Jacob's sons, Dinah's brothers, uh, they end up murdering all the men from this town. They're like, what? This, this is like worse than an episode of EastEnders, isn't it? I mean, like... And, and, and so then Jacob's worried about how the people in the land are going to view him and, and what's, what they're going to think of him. And, uh, and then he meets with God again and he wrestles with God. And there's this story there where God speaks into Jacob's life and reassures him. Um, and then eventually they get back to the land where Esau is. And um, God says to him, come and meet me again at Bethel. And that's the story we're going to look at today. Is that okay? Are you all caught up? Fantastic. There we go. That is chapter 16 to 34 in a few minutes. Let's read Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 to 15. Father God, as we read your word now, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would come and breathe. It would come and speak these words to our hearts, and Lord, that we would hear something of what your word for us today is. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Genesis 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. 
So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on all the towns around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah... Rebecca's nurse died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alon Bakoth. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him. And he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel. All right then. Anybody else found the Genesis stories weird? Yeah, all right. Anybody else been like, I love this bit of the Bible? Ah, oh, amazing. Yeah, it's, it is fascinating, isn't it? It is both weird and fascinating. And there's so many links to things uh, that are going on. And, and as I was, I actually had a whole different plan uh, this week. And then Thursday morning, I woke up and I was rereading some of this stuff. And I hit this verse. And you know when the Holy Spirit just drops and you're like, oh, okay, God, this is what you, this is what you want to say to your people. So I, I just hope and pray that something of what I felt the Spirit saying lands with you guys today. Um, and as I was reading this, uh, I was doing a little bit of research around some of these chapters, and I came across this one commentary, and this, this guy, he was saying that the opening of this verse, this, this section here, where it says that God says to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. He said that the, 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 the phrasing in the Hebrew is, is almost a repeat of the phrasing from a previous part of the story. Um, back from Genesis 27 and 28, where Rebekah and then Isaac in two separate chapters tell Jacob to get up and go to the land that Laban lived in, their family lived in, and to settle there. So we get this language of get up and go and settle and stay. And so here God's saying, get up and go to Bethel and stay there. And earlier on in the story, he was told by Rebekah and by Isaac to get up, go and settle in the land that Laban lived in, the land that they had come from. And, and something just interesting just struck me as I was reading that. Um, because 
I don't know about you, but I've got some people in my life and they're really wise, right? Anybody else got wise people in their lives? The people that you go to for advice all the time. There are some other people that aren't so wise that like to give me advice, but, but there are some that are wise and I seek out their advice, right? And uh, I saw you tapping it then. Um, so, um, yeah, and, and, and I, I was just reflecting on this story. In that moment, do you remember back in Genesis 27 and 28, where Jacob had just deceived Esau and Isaac, and Rebekah says to him, quick, get the heck out of here. Like she wants, she loves her son, and she wants to save her son. So she says, get up, go, go back to where Laban is and stay there. And then in chapter 28, Isaac says, yeah, get up, go back to where Laban is and stay there. Because I don't want you marrying any of the women from the Canaanites. I want you to go marry someone from our descendants. And, and you see how both Rebecca and Isaac, they both had motive and intention in sending Jacob back to where he'd come from. Rebecca Rebekah wanted him to go because she loved him more than she loved Esau and she didn't want Esau to murder him. Isaac wanted him to go because he now realized that Jacob was the one who was blessed, who carried the blessing of the firstborn and his future mattered to him. And he didn't want his now firstborn or the son that carried that to marry one of the Canaanites. So he said, go and marry one of our people. So he's thinking about himself a little bit like how Rachel is as well. They're thinking about the things of their own heart, their own desires, the things that matter to them. Are you with me? Do you see that? And, and so they end, he ends up going back and the whole story goes on. But I actually believe as I was reading this, I don't think that God's plan was for Jacob to necessarily go back there. You see when he stops off on the way back, he stops in Bethel in Genesis 28. And God says, this is the land I'm going to give to you. This is where I'm calling you to be. And so when we get to chapter 35 and God says to him, come back to Bethel, go and stay in Bethel, this commentator, he was saying how actually what you see is the reversal of these things. You see, you've been listening to the voices of people, but now is time to listen to the voice of God, to go where God is calling you to go, to live out the life that God is calling you to live out. And I wonder how many of us have been living out the life that other people have been speaking over us rather than the life that God's been speaking over us. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about three voices that we are susceptible to. It talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world are the voices of the people around us, the voices of our culture. They're not all bad, but sometimes when they're not aligned with God, they can be. They can be. Even people that love us and care for us can speak good-willed intention into our lives. But if it's not lined up with God's plan for us, it can send us way off course. There's that voice. And I think that's partly what happened here. There's also what the, the Ephesians calls the flesh. That's like the internal voice. The voice within me, my desires, the things that I want. How often do we listen to that voice? And it doesn't line up with God's heart, God's will, God's word to us. And it sends us off on some weird track. And then there's the devil, the spiritual voice, the evil within the world that we know operates, that speaks to us, that speaks to our culture, that tries to pull us away from God's intention. I wonder what those voices have been for you. I wonder what voices you listen to. And I just pray that today the Holy Spirit would start to to show you where you have been listening to voices that are not the voice of God, that are not God's heart for you, that are not God's word for your life. 
but other voices, sometimes of well-meaning people, but actually aren't leading you where God wants you to go. And today, I believe, is a day where we can hear the voice of God again and can be called back to the things that he wants for us to step into. And so he speaks to Jacob and he says, I'm calling you now to get up and to go to the place that I've always been calling you to go to, to go to Bethel and to settle there. And further down in the chapter, you'll read that when Jacob came from Padan Aran, God met with him. Well, Padan Aran was the place that Laban lived, the region that Laban lived in, further up north from where uh, Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and the story unfolds, further up north, Padan Aran. And so this bit, verse 9, where it talks about Padan Aran, actually, um, that's referring to where he was where he'd been living in Laban's household under Laban. And in chapter 31, verse 3, while he's living in Padanaran, God says to him, go, go back to where I'm calling you to be. And so that's the point when he gets up and he leaves. And it tells us here that when he left Padanaran, that was when God met with him. When he trusted what God had said to him and he stepped out in it, that was when God met with him. And loads of amazing stuff starts happening in Jacob's life. I want to just think for a moment about Padan Aran and Laban's household. So, like I said, Padan Aran was where Laban lived, and it's where Jacob lived under Laban, where he slaved for seven years or worked for seven years to earn Leah, and then another seven years for Rachel. And then the story goes on, he's another six years doing all kinds of other work. Um, But I, I was thinking about this. I was like, why was it important for Jacob to come out from Padanaran to come out from the household of Laban. And, and the root words in Hebrew that the word Laban comes from, it, it, means, it means to make bricks. That's what the name Laban means, the root of the word Laban in Hebrew, to make bricks. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Where have we seen that phrase before? What was that? In Egypt, yes. So those of you that know the story of the Bible will know that coming up in Egypt, in slavery, the people get told they have to make bricks and build for Pharaoh. But it's also happened backwards in the story at Babel, at the Tower of Babel, where they built with bricks. They made bricks and they built with them. And so we know going backwards and going forwards that this phrase to make bricks is not a phrase that means good stuff is happening. It's a phrase that means something bad is happening. There's oppression, there's slavery, there's captivity, there's working for the good of somebody else. There's working not for God, but maybe um, for other people or for self-righteous fulfillment or whatever it is, looking back and forward at Egypt and Babel, something not good is going on in the story. We also know that Laban, we mentioned earlier on, Laban changed Jacob's wages 10 times, which again, the number 10 linked with human activity in the scripture is the reversal of God's activity, of God bringing life. We looked at that a few weeks ago, so I won't go over that again. But there's stuff going on with Laban that is counter to the story of God. Jacob's living under some sort of oppression, some sort of rule, domination over him. And God says, come out from under that. Come out from under the household of Laban and come to Bethel. And the word Bethel in Hebrew means the house of God. Come out from under the household of Laban and come to the house 
of God. Come out from under this oppression, this where you're having to, to live to please others, to earn others' favor, to earn righteousness in their sight, to do something that builds them up. Come out from under that and come to the house of God where God himself wants to speak freely over you blessing. How many of us are living under the household of somebody else, under the way that other people want us to live, trying to earn something from them by living in a way that pleases them? God's saying, come out from under that. Come out from under that and come into my house. Come into my house. Now, Jacob leaves uh, Padanaran, and he comes down and he goes to Bethel. And you'll notice in the scriptures where we read that it actually says that Bethel, he comes to a place called Luz. Do you remember that? Luz. And then it says in brackets, that is Bethel. And so what this tells us is that Bethel wasn't always called Bethel. Bethel was called Luz. The word Luz in Hebrew, it, it means almond tree. Um, and the root of it, uh, literally, it means to turn aside, to be crooked, or to uh, to to, to deviate. So the idea with the almond tree is how the, the branches kind of bend and crook and deviate rather than just going straight up. They kind of have this weird bendiness to them, which is how it gets linked with that tree. But the word luz means to, to be crooked or to deviate or to turn aside from. And Jacob, he's been to luz before. He's been to Bethel before. When he was leaving to go to Padanaran, he stopped off at Bethel. And he had this encounter with God there. Do you remember he had the dream with the ladder and the angels ascending and descending? But what happened just before that was that Jacob had deceived his father and his brother. He'd been crooked and he deviated. And now he was stepping aside from the land that he was in and turning away from that and fleeing. And, and so that place had significance because not only did that place mean that in its name, the place where he stopped off, that was actually his experience. That was what he'd lived. That was the journey that he'd been on. And so he stops in this place called Luz that literally means to be crooked or to deviate or to turn aside from. That was part of his journey. But this time God says, I'm calling you to go to that place. And when God shows up in that place, what happens to the name of that place? It gets changed. It's no longer Luz. No, no, the place of crookedness, the place of, 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 of deviating, the place of stepping aside and leaving God's good plan for your life. When God shows up in that very place, it becomes the house of God. It becomes the house of God. Do you know something else changed his name in that place? Not just the place, but Jacob himself. His name changes when he's at that place twice. Both times he goes there. God changes his name. God says, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. You're going to be called Israel. The name Jacob means heel grabber. It's a euphemism in Hebrew to mean one who deceives, which that was his life, wasn't it? Always cheating and deceiving people. And then God says to him, I'm not going to call you that anymore. I'm going to call you Israel, which means the one who wrestles with God. The one who gets up close and personal. The one who works this stuff through. The one who says, I'm not going to let go of you until you see me through this. That's who you are. That's who you're going to be. You're not going to be that person anymore. You're going to be this person. And, and what I was really struck by as I was reading this story was that God can do that. He did that for Jacob and he can do that for us. He can do that for us. Your name, your reputation, the things that people think of you, the things that you've been living under, 
They don't have to be your name, your reputation anymore. You can be one who wrestles with God, one who knows him, one who walks with him. Not because anybody else says it, just, but because God has spoken it over you. That is who you are because he is your father. He is your God. He is the one who created you. He is the one who knows you better than anybody else knows you. That is not who you are anymore, but in him, you are free. In him, you have hope. In him, you have a future because of who he is. And not only is your name different, but also your story can change. Your history can change. The places that you have been to, the experiences that you have had, those of sorrow, those of sadness, those of brokenness, those of despair, those of anxiety, they don't need to be places of sorrow, sadness, despair, and anxiety, places of hurt anymore. Because when God shows up in them, they are transformed, and they go from being Luz to being Bethel. They, go to be they become the place where God is found. And so places of sorrow become places of joy. Places of hurt become places of healing. Places of, uh, of anxiety become places of peace and hope. Places of loneliness become places of love. When God shows up. Uh, you'll notice that Jacob, he'd been to Bethel, to Luz back in Genesis 28. And I really felt God say this for some of you in this room today. Jacob, this wasn't the first time he'd been there. He'd been there before. He'd met with God before. And God had already changed the name of that place. And God had already changed his name. And yet, he left that place and went straight back to being who he'd always been. But God didn't leave him there. God called him back to Bethel again. And some of you, you've met with God. Some of you have been walking with him for a long time. Some of you know that he's spoken something new over your life. Some of you know that he has changed the things that you have walked through. And yet you've walked out of that moment. And over time, you walked away from that moment and you stepped back into that old identity. You stepped back into that old hurt. You stepped back into that old pain, into that old sorrow, into that old anxiety. But God today is calling you again back to Bethel, back to the place where he wants to meet with you. He's calling you back to what was Luz. Some of you today, he's asking you, come back to that place of hurt and let my presence fall in that place and let my presence turn that hurt into healing. Come back to the place of Bethel. So Jacob, he turns around to his whole household, to his whole family, and he says, we're going to Bethel. Come on. But before we go, we need to deal with a few things. He says, I want you to get all of the household gods that you have, and I want you to get rid of them. And so they gather up all the household gods. They give them to him. They take the rings out of their noses, and they give them to him, and they bury them so they can't be found. And then they change their clothes. And I think for us today as well, some of us are going to need to do some of this. God's calling us into something new. He wants to take old things and make them new. He wants to transform our lives. He wants to take the things that have been binding us up and bring us freedom. But if we carry with us some of the things that we've been carrying, we'll just turn that place back into a place of captivity, back into a place of hurt. And so the, the passage says to take the foreign gods, li literally the phrase in Hebrew is strange gods, strange gods, strange rulers 
things that actually, they're not our natural state. They weren't the way God made us to be. That was not the thing God made you to carry or surrender your life to. It's strange, and yet somehow we've been carrying it around for years. And God's saying, put that stuff down. Put that stuff down. Things that you've picked up along the way. Things that were never meant to be your identity. God's saying, put it down. Put it down. Some of those things, some of those things that you've acquired along the way might be habits, addictions. Some of those things uh, might be rituals and holds, fears, patterns of thinking that were never your original pattern of thinking. And at some point along the journey, that's how you started to think. And now everything you think comes through that lens and everything you see is seen that way. And God's saying, that is not a God I want you to bow down to. For some of you, those foreign gods are a resentment and unforgiveness that you keep daily just surrendering your life to, that you bow down before. And God said, I never made you to live like that, but to live free and enjoy and to know peace. Give up the foreign gods. Today, some of us, we need to come before our Father and we need to say, I know I've been carrying this God around. I know that I picked up this habit along the way. I know that I picked up this way of thinking that was never what you intended for me. I know that I picked up this fear and now I live under it all the time. And God's saying, lay it down. Today we bury it. Today you leave it behind. Today you come back to Bethel. You'll notice in the story then that they have to change their clothes, put on fresh clothes. Such a, a weird thing, isn't it? The, the ancient peoples and the weird habits that they had. But it all meant something. It was a, a practical way of living out something that spiritually had taken place. And there's spiritual stuff that's going on for us in this place today. Stuff that God wants to do in you and he wants to do in me that he wants to do in us. And for some of us, it's going to involve doing something practical. Some of us are going to have to go home and... We're going to need to get rid of some stuff in our house. We're going to need to clear our browsing history and set some protection up on our internet. Some of us are going to need to, I don't know, we're going to need to deal with some relationships. We're going to need to go and, and forgive some people and apologize to some people. We're going to need to do some practical things to, to change some clothes. For some of us, changing clothes is going to be something that happens internally. And the Bible, it talks about changing clothes quite a bit. One of my favorite verses where they're told to take off clothes is, <laughs> that sounds so dodgy. <laughs> Sometimes I need to think about what I'm saying before I say it, don't I? <laughs> yeah. But it's Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. When a guy called Moses sees a bush that's on fire and he wanders over to it and the voice of God speaks to him from the bush and says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. What a weird thing. What a weird thing. I think we, over the history, over the history of Christianity, there's almost like in religion, there's developed this idea that we have to put something on when we go on holy ground. We have to cover up. We have to hide from God. But God says, no, 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 take it off. I don't want anything between your feet, your skin, and, and the ground that I'm standing on. I want you as close to me as you can be. I, I don't know about if you've thought about this, but Moses' feet were probably one of the dirtiest parts of his body. And God says, I, I want to touch the dirtiest parts of your body. 
I want to touch the dirtiest parts of your life. I want to make them holy because when God touches things, they become clean. They become holy. So stop hiding the dirty parts of your life behind whatever you're wearing over it. Stop covering it up and just be honest with me and come before me and let me touch it and cleanse it and make it holy. In Colossians chapter 3, have we got this passage up on the screen? Colossians chapter 3. Great. Let's read these, these verses. Colossians 3 from verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, do you hear that? That's who you are. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Flick over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. It says this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds to, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And in Galatians, in Galatians, you'll also see it talks about clothing yourself in Christ, in Galatians chapter 3. Now guys, we need to take off the old self, to take off the old clothes, the old habits, and put on Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's going to be a daily practice for most of us. I, I, I tend to try and put Jesus on in the morning, and by the end of the day, I've kind of got him dirty. So I have to take him off and put him on again the next day. But that's okay. Every day I'm learning just to kind of walk a little better with him. To, to walk his way, to live his way. But we need to do that. If we want to step into the future that God has for us, if we want to step into Bethel, not Luz again, if we want to step into that place, then we need to leave behind the old habits. We need to stop making the new place the old place. But praise God that every time we get there and we screw it up, he calls us back to it again. He says, come on, come back, come back, come back. And so today, come back. Come back into his presence. Come back to those places, those places that have muddied what we've been wearing, whether it's because of our own habits or because of the hurts and pains that other people have caused us. Let's come back to those places and let Jesus make us new. Find hope and freedom, joy and forgiveness and grace in those places that once were places where all we found was despair. In verse um, 
5, it says this in Genesis 35. They set out and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. I want you just to, to, to put your head into Jacob's mind for a second, right? Because earlier on in the story, Jacob's sons had brutally murdered a whole town of men in Shechem, right? Not long before this happened. And Jacob, he's scared, <laughs> right? Because suddenly now he's, his sons have made him an enemy of all the people that are around him. And so for Jacob to go anywhere, to set out on a journey is to make himself vulnerable. Have you felt like that? Like going on a journey makes you vulnerable? And, and for some of us, coming from the place where we are and heading back to Bethel, heading to the place where God wants to meet with us, heading from the old into the new is going to be a journey that will make us vulnerable. Many of you will know a, a, a chunk of my story. And in my early 20s, I was not following Jesus. I was living a very different life. I was completely engrossed in uh, the LGBTQ scene and ran nightclubs and bars. And that was my life. And, um, and then I encountered Jesus again. Sorry. This was not part of the plan. <clears throat> and um, yeah, he completely transformed my life. He called me back and he spoke a new name over me. And he spoke something different over the journey that I had been on. But, but I'll tell you now, that journey wasn't easy. Setting out from that place and heading back to where he was calling me was a journey that I knew as I walked it, I would fall many times, that I would mess up many times. And, and as I did walk that journey, and it was a journey that I wanted to make, but I knew that the people around me, some of them were just waiting for me to mess up. Some of them were waiting to see that actually what God was doing wasn't really real and that I would just end up back where I was. Some of them were like watching. And I was just like worried about what people would say, what they would do, what they would think. That journey is a hard journey. And for many of you in this place, you're sat thinking right now about some of the things that you know you've been wearing. Some of the habits you've been carrying, the addictions that you have, some of the resentment you've been holding or the pain that you have been living under. And you know that to deal with that means taking a journey that won't be easy. What will people think? What will people say? If you start living differently, if you go to someone and you actually apologize or you forgive someone, what will they turn around and think that you're doing? How will they view you? If you're honest with someone about what you're really doing in your own time when you're at home on the internet, but you know that God's calling you out from under it, what will people think? What will they say? I want you to know that this is a safe place and that anything that you say to someone here or you say to me, you will not find any judgment. You'll just find love and grace and you'll find people that want to walk that journey with you. Because I've got not a leg to stand on when it comes to judging other people. <laughs> and I'm the pastor. So that's the culture here. Is that all right? But I want you to know that. That if you want to make that journey, this is a place and these are a people that will walk that journey with you. But it's not an easy journey. 
And better than us walking with you is the fact that he will walk with you. In Genesis 28, in, in verse 15, God says to Jacob that I will be with you. And wherever you go, I'll be with you until I bring you back here and you realize what this place really is. I will be with you. And the Bible says it again and again and again. I had a whole list of verses I was going to read to you, but I won't because we haven't got loads of time. But promise you, the Bible says it again and again and again. God says, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Jesus says, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. No matter what happens, I'm going to be with you. He's going to walk that journey with you. And as we come into land, I want you to know this. It is a journey that is worth making. It is a journey that is worth making. Because when Jacob makes this journey, when he gets to Luz, which becomes Bethel, when he gets there, he finds a God who reminds him who he really is. Stop listening to what the world says. Stop listening to what the world calls you. Stop listening to what your past has spoken over you. And hear this, Jacob, you are now Israel. I'm telling you again. I've told you before, but I'm telling you again. And he gets there and God tells him again, this is who you are. This is your identity. You are mine and I love you. I love you. It's a journey worth going on because not only does God speak his identity over him, which sets him free and builds him up and releases him to live a great life, but he also speaks blessing over him. And he says, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. And the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you and I will give this land to your descendants after you. It really struck me when I was reading that, that there's such a difference in what God says to what the story of Jacob has said over him. So when he lived with Laban, Jacob had to work for what was to become his. He had to strive to have it, to have his place in Laban's household, to have his family and to secure his future. But when he comes to the house of God, when he comes out from under the house of Laban and he comes to the house of God, he doesn't have to do anything. God just says, I'm giving you this. That is grace. That is the free gift of God. And that is what he gives to all of us. It's got nothing to do with works. You don't have to earn it. God just wants you to receive it. It's his to give and he gives it. Have life. Have blessing. Know grace and forgiveness. Walk with joy and peace. This is his to give. And he just freely gives it. Uh, your Bible might say, I am God Almighty. And there might be a little letter next to it. And in the footnote, it will say, this is the Hebrew, El Shaddai. And um, El Shaddai often gets translated as God Almighty, um, which is okay, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, there's some scholarly dispute around whether that's actually a good translation of El Shaddai. Um, El Shaddai pictures this, this mighty one, God Almighty. Yet most of the time when you read the phrase El Shaddai in the Hebrew uh, in the Bible, what you actually discover is it's not around, none of the rest of the language around that is about God being mighty and God being strong and God being anything like that. The language is often, most often, is around fruitfulness and blessing. 
fruitfulness and blessing. And the, there are two root words in the Hebrew that, that El Shaddai could come from. Um, and the one of them is almighty, but the other one, which actually lots of scholars think, and I'm leaning towards, lots of scholars think actually this is probably more accurate. Um, it, it's actually this root word that means the breasted one, <laughs> um, as in breast female breast. And, and so lots of us have an issue with that because we're like, what do you mean God's got breasts? Um, <laughs> here's, here's the thing. God isn't male or female, right? God is God. We are made male and female in his image. So I don't have an issue with the fact that the Bible says things about God in a feminine way from time to time. And actually that word Shaddai, the root word, the, the, the many-breasted one, actually what it pictures is this, one who brings forth life, one who brings forth fruit. Doesn't that make much more sense when you read this here? I am El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply. That's who God is. See, this wasn't about God saying to Jacob, I'm God Almighty, you get on with it and be fruitful. That wasn't what was going on here. God was saying, I am El Shaddai, be fruitful. I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to bring this about in your life. And guys, some of you are still striving in your Christian walk as if you need to please God and do stuff for him. But that's not how it works. God has done everything for you. Now, from that place of thankfulness and gratefulness, we want to live lives that please and honor him. But we don't have anything to earn. Because he loves us and it is a free gift of grace that he pours out on us. You don't have to do anything to earn your worth with God. You don't have to do anything to tell God that you're worthy of being loved, even though you did this, this and this. Lord, if I do these things, will that make that right? And he's like, no, my cross made that right. I took care of it for you. Your past is dealt with. The old name is gone and you are now mine. And because you're mine, I'm going to bring blessing upon you and you're going to be fruitful. You're going to know love and joy and peace. These are the things that I want to pour out upon you. I don't know if you uh, spotted this, but the words of the promise, they involve fruitfulness, they involve rule, and they involve land. Fruitfulness, rule, and land uh, in this promise. And if you track it, you'll find that this promise gets repeated many times. It gets said to Abraham, it gets said to Noah, and it actually gets said right back in the Garden of Eden when God promises them fruitfulness, rule, and land. These th three things. And what that tells me is this, that constantly throughout the story, God is faithful. Adam and Eve mess it up, but God still speaks his promise. Noah's family mess it up, but God still speaks his promise. Abraham's family mess it up, but God still speaks his promise because God is faithful. Here's another issue we have when we start thinking about ourselves and our past. We like to think that God is faithful to me. And Hear me, I think God is faithful to us. But when we think about me, when we put me in it, God is faithful to me, it actually rocks our idea of God's faithfulness because we start going down that mindset of, yeah, but I know me. Do you know you? Because I know me. And I start looking at my life and I'm like, how could God possibly be faithful to me? I know what I've done. I know what I thought this morning before you all rocked up to church. How could God be faithful to me? But Matt, it's not that God's faithful to you. It's that God is faithful, full stop. God's faithful to himself. God's faithful to his word. When God says something, it is true because he is faithful, full stop. So today you can trust him. 
No matter what you've carried, no matter what you've been walking through, no matter what you've been living under, today you can know that he is faithful. And his promise, his grace, his mercy, his love, his hope is for you. It is for you. And you can step into that. I don't know if you spotted this, but this is a prodigal son story, right? Two brothers, one of them steals everything from the other brother, takes the blessing, and then runs away and has to work. And eventually comes home. And when he comes home, what does he find? There's more blessing. There's love and abundance. This is a prodigal son story. Some of us in this place are prodigals. Some of us in this place have walked with God and then we've run away. And God's calling us back. He's calling us to know him again, to step into all that he has for us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land with this. The wheels are touching down, I promise. Please remain in your seats until the plane has come to a full stop. I said earlier on, this isn't the first time that God uh, has met with Jacob at Bethel. And you'll notice that that was back in Genesis 28. And where he met with him then, Jacob had a dream. Puts his head down on a rock. Ouch. Has a dream. And in his dream, he sees the angels ascending and descending from open heaven. And he gets told there that he's going to be a blessing. And through his seed, his offspring, the whole world is going to be blessed. Well, if you flick your Bible to John chapter 1, verse 51, there you'll find Jacob, having, uh, sorry, Jesus, <laughs> having a conversation with a guy called Nathaniel. And Jesus says this to, Jake, uh, to Nathaniel, so many names, come on, Matt, stay on track. Jesus says this to Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, you think what I just did was cool? You're going to see something even cooler. You're going to see open heaven and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus takes the dream that Jacob had and he says that dream that led to the promise about a seed, an offspring coming that would bless the whole world, that dream is me. That is about me. I am that seed and through me, the whole world will be blessed. And he went and he hung on a cross and he died for our sin and he died for our hurt and he died for all the sin of the people that have hurt you. All the stuff that has happened, he died for it. And he took it all to the grave. And then he rose again and he conquered it, showing that there is life after suffering. There is hope. There is future with him. There is peace. There is joy. There is all of that to be had. Andy, why don't you come? Band, why don't you come? Today, Jesus is calling you back to Bethel. Today, Jesus is saying, I want to take your stories, your Luz places, and I want to turn them into Bethel places. Today, I want you to take off the old clothes. I want you to stop hiding behind the old things. And I want you to come before me and meet with me. And today, I want my presence to change everything for you in your life. Today, I want you to encounter me, the one who is hope, the one who is peace, the one who is joy, the one who is love, the one who pours out grace in abundance. And today, I want to set you free. Today, I want you to step into the hope that I have for you.